Digilog fam, it's your boy Drew. Happy Sunday. Hope you guys are enjoying your holiday weekend. Um, before we start, I, I, before I introduce my guest, I just want to say thank you for all the support that you've been giving us uh, throughout this pandemic. And we're going to continue to program some amazing content uh, just to support you guys creatively. So hope you guys are staying safe and creative at home. Uh, super excited for episode 15 of the L's, AK Lessons Learned, with our boy, Ray Rizzi. What's up? What's up, what's Ray? What's going on? Drew, what's up, man? How's, uh, before we go into, you know, the episode, how's the family? How's, uh, you know, just kind of like you handling, you know, the pandemic and just, you know, how are you being creative and productive? Um, family is good, thankfully. Uh, very um, adaptive to what's been going on. But, you know, luckily the kids have been good. The wife has been good. If anything, we haven't killed each other in the house. So that's always a plus. <laughs> um, creatively. Point taken. <laughs> um, yeah, for real, for real. Um, creatively, I would say, you know, just start trying to stay busy. Um, definitely reading a lot more than I have in the past because a lot of times we make the excuse we don't have the time and you try to fit in right. chapters on the train or whatever. So that's going well, but um, you know, just trying new stuff, you know, things stepping out, trying new things. Right. What works, I keep. What doesn't, I throw away. Right. I know you spoke. We spoke earlier this week. You spoke about your love for Instacart. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh my gosh, bro. Bro, let me tell you. And you, if they need testimonials, all they gotta do is hit me up on Twitter. I'll send one twice a week. You know what I'm saying? That's how. That's how much we love it over here. No, shout out to Instacart. Hopefully we can get a brand brand sponsorship for you. Uh, <laughs> you're you're gonna be their biggest uh, brand ambassador. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for the right reasons too. Yeah, for the right reasons for sure. No, that that's super dope. And just for our audience, you know, for our digital community, which consists of artists, producers, songwriters, music professionals, and more importantly, music lovers, uh, talk about your role, like what you do, um, and yeah, to give some context. Yeah, yeah, sure. Well, first of all, I consider myself uh a creative um i look at it in this order um husband dad creative right then um absolutely absolutely a lover of music i grew up in hip-hop right now i currently am on air personality on sirius xm i work on two channels one being eminem shape 45 uh during the late nights and then on hip-hop nation during the middays 11 to 5 p.m on the east dope dope that's that's awesome man and i know we connected you know we both shared uh kind of a panel type conversation so shout out to uh, jason grant and uh the heavy sounds team uh right. for curating a, a really dope um conversation was it about about a week ago um and that's how we connected off that but more importantly we know mutual people so the, mm -hmm. the community is very small uh it's funny that yeah i think when i was at, working at Dutch jam you had stopped by the office. Um, and we yeah. said, what's up? <laughs> I was like, oh, you're, you're great. So, you know. Yeah. And it's crazy how it always comes full circle. You know, you just have to hope that you wasn't a, you know, a total douche or dick when you come back to it. You know what I'm saying? But that was the not, that wasn't the case. Yeah. <laughs> That's definitely a lesson learned right there. Respect people. Don't be an asshole. You know, you never know when you're going to meet them again. Right. You know, right. Very, very true. So, I know, uh, you know, for, for the L's, we always kind of just kind of unravel, unwrap, you know, people's, you know, brand and like where they grew up because a lot of people may see you now, but they don't know anything about you, right? They don't know anything about your upbringing and your interests. So maybe talk a little bit about, you know, where you grew up, 
you know, your early influences in music, whether, you know, also maybe in sports, because I know we spoke about your passion for basketball, but, you know, who are like those early artists that you were listening to? And, you know, maybe you had your, your parents, were they playing music in your, in your house? Maybe talk a little bit about that. Well, um, I grew up in the South Bronx. Um, I definitely grew up in a, in a time where hip hop was being um, really, really, it was malleable. That's a good SAT word right there. So it was very, it was being structured at that point, right? And um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I w at any given time, man, I could, where I lived in the South Bronx, I was literally 10 minutes from Harlem. So I could go up the block and see somebody like Fat Joe or Big Pun. I could go down the block and I could see somebody like Ultramagnetic MCs or Tim Dog or somebody like Dougie Fresh just coming through the block real quick. I was able to see, you know, a lot of different, you know, especially in that time, the South Bronx was considered probably the poorest um, county in, in the States. You know what I'm saying? So, of right. course, I saw a lot of um, hustlers that was going on, the drug, you know, the crack era was big. So I, I saw all, all of that. And, of course, you know, what you heard all the time was hip-hop. Now, of course, around that time, you used to hear a lot of freestyle, um, mm -hmm. house house was starting to pick up a little bit after that but hip-hop very early on like um especially here in new york city you, you're thinking you're talking about block parties so in the summertime i, I know they don't do it as much now here in new york city right the minute you play something too loud on your walk on your, on your phone <laughs> the cops want to walk over but we're talking right. about speakers that were probably 11 feet in the air and djs just coming out setting up and just doing it in the park so around that time um Rob Bass, Easy Rock, um, definitely Big Daddy Kane was really big. Native Tongue, De La Soul, mm -hmm. um, De La of Soul. course, like Black Sheep, um, Jungle Brothers, you know, uh, Queen Latifah. All of these things were starting to be born. And this is before we even got to the Holy Trinity of Biggie, Jay-Z, and Nas. So, right. you know, I, I used to hear a lot of that music, but growing up in the South Bronx, uh, one of the schools I went to was a school of the arts. The only reason they turned into that school because they were, they were, in jeopardy of closing. It was a parochial mm, school mm. called St. Augustine and then it turned into the St. Augustine School of the Arts. And that's what really opened me up to um, music theory. Um, wow. So I was able to, and I, I don't even think we had a chance to talk about this. I was able to jam with people like Wynton Marcellus, like Leonard Bernstein, wow. like Max Roach, you know? So if you, you know, for all the jazz lovers out there, I know my man Sky yeah. Zoo would love that. But, um, <laughs> you know, that, that really opened up my musical palette but also opened mm -hmm. me up a lot because we were able to travel and see a lot right. more. So I had the best of both worlds, in my opinion. I had the block, I had the raw, I had the real, but I also had right. what happens once you, you know, you go ahead and put in the work to make your dream a reality. Right. No, that, that's amazing. I mean, did you have like early inspirations of like becoming an artist, um, given your interest at school? Maybe, you know, maybe for all of, I don't know, a day and a half. Okay. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I remember, and I got to shout out my man, Mr. Rogers, old man, J.O., um, over on 169th Street in between 3rd Avenue and Fulton Avenue. We, it was the nine. Actually, the nine went from, like, Webster all the way up to Boston Road. It might even went even further past that, but that's what the nine was for us. And I remember my right. boy, like, yo, we're going to have a freestyle session. Come through, just have your rhymes. Have them shits ready to go. <laughs> I was like, I yeah. bet. So, you know, I kicked my rhyme and everybody looked. It was quiet. I didn't know. I was like, oh, I must have killed it. Everybody just started <laughs> laughing. Yo, Drew, this shit was embarrassing, man. And I was like, oh, man. My... It's like, yo, that was funny. You know, they laughing at you. They patting you on the back. Yo, it's all right. Don't worry. Next time. And at that point, I was like, yeah, this, this rhyme and shit ain't, it ain't for me. But 
um, I still knew I wanted to be a part of music in some right. way, shape, or form. I still wanted to be a part of the process of creation. Right. Yeah. I mean, after you you dropped your your freestyle, you're like, do you do you remember your freestyle at all? Um, not really. I just remember. <laughs> I'm not gonna put you on the spot. <laughs> I remember this lat. There was this part, and it went to it, and it, it was like the very end was like without the bullshit. It was like, you know, back then the rhymes, back then you you would really um, just like, just drag out a lot of your rhymes and be very, very theatrical right. with it and blah, blah, blah. And my shit must have sounded like some, you know, some 70s shit. I don't know what it, what it sounded like <laughs> to the guys, man, but they was just like, <laughs> get the fuck out of here. Yeah. It was, just, it was just one of those moments, but you right. know, I was proud of it. I did it, you know what I'm saying? I did it yeah. and I realized it wasn't for me that part, but this right. business, this music still what? No, for sure. You know, you know, you're, you're growing up, you're in high school. I'm sure your, your peers, like, did, you know, do you remember like the, those first, like those underground parties, like that, that first show, like, you know, like, cause I, I remember my first show and like, those are the moments I feel like I really, that transcended my passion for music. Like, you know, wh where were those like pivotal moments for you, especially as a young age, because we're so impressionable. We're just like, wow. Like, this is what it's like, you know, you know, well, I, think, I'm, I love this. You know, what, what was really funny about that too, before I even really got to my show where there was actually like a hard ticket sell, shows mm -hmm. were going on in, in these black parties all the time. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like I remember it was one of the first times I saw Fat Joe run. And this is when Fat Crazy. Joe was still, yeah. he was making the transition from, you know, Fat Joe the gangster to Fat Joe the gangster who happens to rhyme. Right. So I was I was seeing a lot of stuff like that. Shout out to Nice and Smooth too. You know, seeing them very early on. But um, I, I would say the park showed me a lot of that. Uh, my very first show show happened to be uh, I want to say R&B a show that I paid for with my money. I was in high mm -hmm. school and it was um, who was on tour? It, I think it was an Uptown tour. And rest in peace to Andre Harrell. I think it was yeah, an Uptown rest tour. In peace, man. And it had uh, it had everybody on there. It was like Luke Sean was on there. Jodeci was very new. Put oh, it like man. this: Father MC was one of the headliners, and Mary was still singing. You know, he, she was still doing her backup for right. him. Same thing with Jodeci, Crazy. and they were coming out to do their parts. Actually, it might have been Jodeci's show. Actually, Jodeci wasn't singing backup for that, but Mary, maybe Mary was doing it at that time. But that 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 was like my first show, and to see all of them. I was just like, right. wow, you know, like it, it, it was big because at that time, the only thing that you were really watching to see um, at mm -hmm. least the representation of hip hop, the way we saw it all the time with the music was probably Video Music Box. Shout out to Uncle Ralph, Ralph McDaniel. Wow, Video Music Box. I haven't heard that term in a while. Yeah, um, man, you, so it was like, that was like U, UHF Channel 31 or something crazy <laughs> like that. Because we didn't even yeah. have cable in the bro. They had yank cable. I at know. The time. Yeah. That's crazy. And in terms of like venues, like obviously they're staples, right? Um, you know, back in the day, there was like Tunnel. Um, you know, SOBs is, is still a staple. Um, you know, there's, there's other venues like Urban Plaza. But like in the Bronx, was there like a, a venue that like, you know, people would just like perform at, or was it in the city that you would go to? Um, do, you, do you remember? In the, in the Bronx, you had the fever. I was, I was a little young to go into the fever. I didn't really go into the fever until it was like, you know, it was on, it's probably on its way to closing. But the fever right. over there on Tremont Avenue, 
um, the Savoy, which was over there, like just off 167th Street. People used to go in there and rock out a lot. Um, for me, so, you know, uh, just venue wise, I would say definitely, you know, in the city, a lot of people used to go to some of the spots that you, you name, but um, I'm trying to think of some of the spots like the Roxy was still very yeah. big. People would go there. There was a spot that wasn't Irving Plaza. It was like you had to go downstairs in, in Union Square. It might have been Union Square. Like there used to be a lot of parties that went there. Rooftop mm-hmm. used to be a lot of parties. And this is this is a little bit, you know, I ain't that old. I don't want you to think I'm that fucking <laughs> old now. But um, I used to see things in there, right? Yeah. Um, but again, like, you know, 60, I, I'll, I'll keep on going to the block party, 63 Park. The block, the, right. the blue courts over in Forest, Forest Projects, huge. If you went down, right. if you had the heart, if you was down there in Webster and Washington Avenue in the Bronx, you used to see a lot over there behind Yankee Stadium. You and yeah. uh, what's that, McCombs Park? You used to see a lot over there. So a lot of what I got to see early on was in the parks, mm-hmm. and then eventually, you know, I started going into the clubs. And you know, now I could say it like I was probably about sixteen when I first started sneaking in the club. Right. Right. No, it's it's good because like it's it's good to kind of give some context as to like what the music you know kind of environment was like in new york during that time especially for the community because obviously it's different now you know people get music it's like in their phone you know tomorrow but you're discovering this at the parks you know through your friends uh people are creating like tapes and record you know like recording them and creating their own mixtapes and stuff sharing it with their their friends as well um let me let me let me say this real quick drew i mean to cut you off also, you got to give a, a nod to all the mixtape DJs, right? So yeah. somebody like uh, Kid Capri, very big, very, or, yes. um, you know, Red Alert, oh, very big. You know, you were always listening to what they were doing because they were breaking a lot of the music. But then you got to right. think about, um, like, doo-wop. You got to think about Clue. I mean, Clue was a little bit later on. You got to think about people like, yeah. um, you know, just being able to hear stuff from, I don't want to say Clark Kent put out mixtapes, but I remember hearing stuff from him. And if it made its way from Brooklyn all the mm-hmm. way up to the Bronx for us, yeah, that that was a journey. You feel what I'm saying? To hear about somebody early on, like, yo, who's that kid? Right. Because the biggest thing coming out of Brooklyn, the biggest import, so to speak, or export was Big Daddy Kane for us in high school. So it, 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 said, it said a lot about how you got your music. You really had to search for it. You really had to right. look for it. It wasn't just on demand ready for you accessible whenever you wanted it right yeah no it's it was a different time like it wasn't just like given to you you, you couldn't search for it. <laughs> you right. know you really had to find it find it um so you you know obviously you're you're experiencing music in different capacities um what was that moment when you know as far as like new york artists like biggie um you know when was that moment you started hearing about him you know during this time like um, I, I was lucky because a bunch of my friends, when we were about to go to college, a bunch of my friends went to go intern at Uptown Records, right? Okay. So, um, I was, I was up on Biggie super early. I'm talking about before even, even before Party and Bullshit. Like we wow. knew it was coming. This is when he was still, he still was signed somewhat through Uptown because that party and shout out to Ed Lover and Dr. Dre, that Party and Bullshit soundtrack was yeah. on who's the man the who's the man who's the man soundtrack but right. the um like I, I was I, I saw that super super early I wasn't in I was in college when I first heard about Nas um and mm. the same thing with uh with Hove 
in a, in a sense because I have some cats that I rock with out in Brooklyn that was in that scene. Plus, you also right. gotta remember when he did. I think um, when he was featured on "Just Can't Get With That" or something like that with Ski, which was uh, I forgot what Ski's group was, man. But it was like he was rapping super fast. I always remember seeing the video yeah. or video music box. <laughs> but it, it was uh, oh man, what was it? Not nice, not nice. I'm fucking um, original flavor. He was featured on that okay. song, and it was like. So we we knew a lot of these. I knew that a lot of these cats was coming. Nobody knew yeah. that they were going to be as big as they were going to be, though. And I think that was very influential. And that the the way they each kind of rose, that was right. something that I wanted a piece of. Yeah, and speaking of that, you know, like this was like, I think a lot of people debate in terms of like eras of classic just hip hop, right? You know, people claim the '90s. Obviously, I grew up in the '90s. You know, I was a young kid, but that's what I grew up listening to. But, you know, for you, as you're like experiencing this in college, like how do you, you know, how do you start stepping up in, in terms of just diving into the music space? Your friends are interning at Uptown. Like, how do you start getting involved? Like, what's that first opportunity for you? Well, uh, Street Team. And, and let me shout out um, these two guys too, man, because I, I, I would be playing myself if I didn't shout them out when it comes to playing new music. Yeah. Stretch Armstrong and Bobito. Shout out to those yep. guys, man. Where and, and yes. Bobito's another Bobito's another basketball head. I gotta actually hit him up and see if he's gonna yeah. be playing anytime soon. But um, for me, I went to Stony Brook University, so I got involved with kind of throwing parties. That was kind of like that first little glimpse into it. Um, when I came out of there, I ended up doing my internship over at Def Jam, so that exposed me to oh, my, really? a whole lot. Yeah, so I was working with. Um, Russell Simmons was pretty much like a, a figurehead at that point. He was transitioning into branching out the business in other places, but Lior was still there. Um, Jason right. Jackson, shout out to Jazz Young. Julie Greenwald was there. Uh, Mike Kaiser wow. was there. This is just before Kevin Lyles got there. You had um, Say over at, I think, the drawing board. So I was, I was really exposed to a whole lot just being in that space as an intern. Like I know interns right. nowadays, you demand money and shit. It's all kinds of stuff. <laughs> talk going about on. that. T talk oh, about bro. that though, because like in interns now is, you know, they get the the red carpet <laughs> treatment. I, so. I, I don't I don't really know who who set this this this. I, I guess you. I don't even know what to call it. Mutiny off. I don't I don't know who, who did it. But the um, I, I feel like you know I'm not mad at at people wanting to get paid for their work, but I think they put the pay above the experience. And your internship is really supposed to be for you to get as much experience as you can and be exposed, hopefully, to two pe to, to great people who you, whom you're working with and working for. So you can right. kind of see what their process is and how they do their work. But for me, being an intern over there, like I had a chance to work on Month of the Man, which was Method Man and Red Man's pretty much Crazy. their, their, you know, it was Method Man's first rolling out for Takao and maybe Redman's second. Um, and you just had a lot of different acts that, that were over there. You know what I'm saying? I was able to see the beginning of Hove coming over off of that priority deal wow. and being with Def Jam. I was able to see um, who was it? Like LL Cool J was there. Um, J.O. Felony yep. from the West Coast. Like I'm seeing West Coast acts that, you know, that, that really meant a lot to me at the time because you right. figure before I went to school, I think in 89, man, I went to, uh, before I went to college and I didn't go to college in 89. Again, I'm not saying I'm that old. 
that's it, not yeah. happening. Yeah. But, but my aunt took me out to me and my brother out to LA for a Christmas gift. And mm-hmm. they were talking about at the time, you know, my aunt was beautiful. She was a model, all this great stuff. Um, she really didn't deal with black or brown men too much. And I was used to that. But when we went to LA, I said, yo, Playboy, you know, the guy that she was dating at the time, I think he was a professional golfer, which was cool. Don't get me wrong, Drew. Hey, yeah. right, you can hit a ball 270 can't. yards. <laughs> can't knock the hustle. Yeah. Yeah, but take me to Watts. Take me to South Central. Take me to Compton. Right. And I didn't know if she would be able to do that for me. And I was surprised when she was able to make that call. And be, I was able to see that very early on. From the music I was hearing, I was able to see it. And I respected it in a different right. light. So by the time I got into my internship and being able to work with West Coast artists, I mm-hmm. felt like I had a better understanding of what they were talking about than somebody who, would, who had never mm. been. Wow, that's super interesting, given that you were obviously you grew up in the Bronx, you had the opportunity to go out to LA and, you know, kind of see it firsthand versus just listening to it. I think right. that's, you know, you know, you got to connect the dots that way. So right. Right. as you're at, at Def Jam, do you remember like, like that, inter- everyone has an intern story where like, they, you know, like they have to do so many crazy things just to, you know, a- achieve something, you know, whether you had to get 10 cups of coffee or like, you know, you were in a rush, but like you managed to do it. Um, was um, there like a, like like this crazy task where someone was like, "Hey, you have to do, you have to figure this out," type of thing? Well, you got to remember who I was interning with. Like, you know, shout out to my sister Jazz Young, phenomenal. She's a professor now, by the way, mm-hmm. um, at Monroe in the Bronx. But so I, I I reported to Jazz Young, who was split between Julie Green, Greenwald, who you know was really dope. I love Julie, but Leor Cohen. So you can you imagine? The amount of, it was like being in a, in a fucking commercial and you just like, I, at the time I had hair, like every time he yelled, it was like, like, bro, why are you yelling all the fucking time? Right. And at the same time, you thinking like, yo, who is this dude, man? Like, who the fuck is he yelling at? But you know, at the same time, you're like, yo, he has, he the one who got the keys. So you know what? I'm going to eat this. I'm going to learn from this cat. I'm going to see what this mm-hmm. is right here. Like how, how can right. this let me let me not worry about the yelling. Put my ego to the side. Let me really right. probe and listen for the keys that I need to take from from this experience. And Leo listen. used to yell all the fucking time, all the time, <laughs> all the goddamn time, dog. Um, I can imagine. Yeah. But I I guess I guess it would it would it would be that you know. And you just like yo, we can't fuck this up. We we cannot fuck this up at all because it's not right. even Russell. You're not even worried about Russell at this point. I don't want to right. deal with the tall Israeli guy down there that just <laughs> does not stop yelling for some reason. I don't even know how this guy didn't pass out yet from yelling all the time. So it would be working working with him on projects where we had to report up to him. Right. I can imagine. I've always heard interesting Def Jam stories. So it's always cool just to hear from the people that were going through it during that time. <laughs> right. Shout out shout out um, to everybody who was down there on Varick. On Varick Street. For everybody yes, Varick. it might have changed by the time it got up to Eighth Avenue. But for everyone who was on Varick, you yep. know, you know what I'm talking about. It is it, it really made a different type of executive if you were able to move through that. And and I gotta say this part, like at the time, um, I didn't go all the way through the process. You know what I'm saying? Like I I had my, my grandmother wasn't doing really well. She was sick. She was off and on. So right. I made a decision like, yo, I got to step out of this. And 
then I was like, all right, I think this is good. Let me get back into it. But by the time I got back into it, which was probably about two years later, something like that, I had right. already saw the people who I came in with, Drew, they had already leveled up. You feel what wow. I'm saying? It's like you could see yeah. they were head and, and shoulders above the rest that were out there doing what they were doing. Um, right. I got to shout out Tom, Thomas Lytell, too. He was, he was really big over there as well. But wow. the, um, it, it was, it was it, that was a lesson. That was an L that I took. And, of course, you for take sure. it for family. But, you know, sometimes they'll tell you the great ones find a way to make it happen. It also mm -hmm. takes a lot to do. It takes a lot to do with timing and you finding yourself. I didn't necessarily right. know what I wanted to be at that time, but I definitely right. got the lessons out of being there. Yeah, I was going to ask you, like, as you're doing this, like, what were some of your interests, like, in terms of because you were still figuring things out, right? You're seeing different roles, you're seeing all these big artists that you've listened to, and now you're just like you're you're seeing them at the office, you know, and you're. How, like, what are, what are some of the things that you're interested in, like, in terms of, you know, there's different roles, whether it's an A&R or, like, a marketing. I mean, um, radio, obviously, was, was, was is huge at the time. But, you know, was there anyone kind of, like, guiding you um, in terms of, like, mentorship? Was it, you know, anyone kind of, like, you could kind of lean on for, like, questions during this time? Um, I would I would say uh, jazz jazz young was a big one and you, you know mm -hmm. the thing that you got to realize is that people can only help you but so much it's like you have to right. be willing to receive the information you have to apply right. it at, at some point point. Right. and at that time I still was like very up in the air right do I want to mm -hmm. do I want to work in A and R because at the time A and Rs were very 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 vital to the success of a record of an album right. coming out, of uh, an artist's success. Um, do I want to be in marketing? Do I want to be in sales? I definitely wasn't thinking about radio at the time. So right. I, I just wasn't, I wasn't quite sure, you know? And at this time we're talking, you know, after, after doing that internship, after taking some time off, after coming back, mm -hmm. I remember my man, um, my man, Mr. Rogers, now he goes by uh, Everything Cost. He, he was like, yo, Rick, you know, this is, this Mr. Rogers is still, he was in the room. We might've been at his house. No, we was in old man's house. Um, shout out to old man unstoppable. When it came to him saying like, look, we're going to make this team for my musical career. I need you right. to be there. I want you to be down, but I don't know what you want to do. And I was like, well, you know, let me, I'll be on the management side. Automatically mm. came out my head. I was like, but you know, I really don't know much about management, but I want to be on the management <laughs> side. And um, I remember him connecting me with uh, our man, Rod Glasgow. I literally, mm -hmm. like at the time, I think I might've met him at this spot called Nels. And Nels is, a, what, what is Nels? Nels is up and down now. On, oh, up and on, down. Uh, oh, wow. Street, right? On the west, yeah, so, west side. So we go, we go to Nels. I, I think I meet him at an open mic which was still very big back then. Now them shits mm -hmm. is like dinosaurs. You only read about them in certain <laughs> books, but very right. vital to the business. Cause you know, you got to see what people are doing out there. And we had a right. discussion and we clicked, you know? And I remember um, if we're moving a couple of years down, like my grandmother uh, eventually passes away. And I remember no, three people, the, the three people who first came to my house was my man, mm -hmm. Rod Sledge, Mr. Rogers, they lived in the same building where, you know, I used to always be at when I grew up and Rod, right. Rod Rodney wow. Glasgow, he, they came and it was those three. And at that point I was like, you know what? These are real friends, you know? And um, 
I literally was about to get, me and my brother, we lived with our grandmother. We was about to get evicted. We eventually got wow. split up. Crazy. And I, and I ended up going to live with Rod Glasgow. And wow. he, at the time, he was working with, uh, he was working at Sony. He was working with Tommy mm -hmm. Mottola. Um, wow. He was traveling a lot. And he was like, look, man, you can live here in my spot in Harlem. Just walk my dog. Mm -hmm. I'm on the road. You know, get your shit together. <laughs> figure it out. And hey. I was like, yo, this shit is crazy. But all right, cool. And that, that became, that went from a good friend to mm -hmm. a mentor to my right. brother. Like, this is Harlem wow. any times that you, you do not see us together. You know, like one of my biggest plaques, and I don't want to skip too far ahead, but one of my biggest pack, plaques that I got from Cardi B and her team over there at Atlantic, um, yeah. I gave to him because it was it was just like coming full circle. He's the one who kind of got me into management, you know, at least trying wow. my hand at it. Wow, that's, that's amazing. And I think we want to kind of share that to the audience just because, you know, finding those, those, those people that really support you, even at your darkest times, is so key and it comes full circle when you're in a position to like give it back it's important to like you know pay it forward that way right, right. now you gave the plaques which is awesome so you're 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 evicted so we fast forward you know you're, you're dealing with with those circumstances do you see that kind of this opportunity where it's like i gotta make shit fucking happen because you know i got this i'm staying at this guy's crib for free um I'm still figuring things out. Like what's going through your mind? And you know, like you're managing, you know, you're, you're, you have a managing position, but like what's going through your mind um, trying to like make it? I want to say like um, along the lines in dealing with Mr. Roger, um, it, it was, it was good, but you know, like most managers, you ain't getting paid. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't really anything that, that was happening financially. <laughs> You know, the exposure right. was great, but after a while, Drew, you're like, yo, fam, my pockets is looking thin. I need to make something else happen to right. subsidize this dream. So um, along the way, we uh, in working with Mr. Rogers and the group, uh, the associates, shout out to Mark Monarch, J.O., Old Man, um, Trev. It was, um, and uh, Chuck Barrett, it was like we were able to get this young lady. Her name is was Armoretta, is Armoretta. She actually still, mm. she's still performing till this day we were able to get her a single deal That's i dope. believe over at epic at the time and um that that was like you know progress like oh shit okay it's about to pop off at the time right. epic had i think cameron it's like cameron's first album we was like oh we good we good we <laughs> are good it was like um i forgot the two guys uh mark morrison was over there it was like yo son mm -hmm. we it's it's about to take the fuck you're off. set y'all are set hell yeah it doesn't but you know, it, the dream, the dream was there. Um, right. Raj um, starts doing some major writing. He started, he, he was writing for like Puff and some of his wow. albums. So that was great. That was good to see him do his thing. Um, I ended up getting a regular job. I went, I went to go start a job. This is like 96, 97. I went and started working mm -hmm. over at Mount Sinai. Okay. And, and what Mount Sinai did here in New York City, if you don't know about Mount Sinai at the time, yeah. it was one of the biggest hospitals in probably the country. Now I know it's definitely yeah. one of the biggest hospitals in the country because they were buying up everything. But sure. it was much, it, it, it is a campus because it's a medical school on top of it being just a, you know, a, a hospital. But right. um, it opened me up again to networking with even more people. And here, this is the thing. After being there for, for so many years and then starting to figure out like, all right, what I'm gonna do. I was working at Medical right. Records at the time. I had a family down there. 
You know what I'm saying? A family, like mm-hmm. literally, I could do no wrong. If I had to jet out real quick, I could say this now, statute of limitations is up. Y'all can't do nothing to me. I, um, if I had to jet out, they would support yeah. me. They would hold That's me dope. down, all that great stuff. But Drew, what I found out in working at that space is that yeah. Dame, Dame Dash worked there. Um, Fat really? Man Scoop w- w- was, was there. Um, at the time, I don't know, this is really weird. This is older than me again. I'm not dating myself. I want to be clear <laughs> about this. But somebody like message Eddie, across, yeah. message, 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 message. But somebody like Eddie Chiba, if you ever heard the song Chiba Chiba, y'all, Eddie Chiba yeah. was working there at the time. And wow. he was he was part of the success for Russell Simmons. So I'm a big person with, you know, taking signs and saying, you know what, mm-hmm. I'm in the right place at the right time because if these guys can do it, someone like a fat man scoop or someone like a dame, that's showing me that I can do it. If Eddie Chiba is here, then that's also showing me that sometimes you put your best foot forward, but it doesn't work out, right. but you still gotta take, you gotta take respons- your responsibilities and take care of them. So right. at that time at Mount Sinai, I learned a lot, man. I, I really got cool with a lot of different people. It, um, you know, as much as you keep it real on the block, you have to be able to diversify. And what I yeah. did at that space was that able, a, being able to walk in different circles. And different circles doesn't always mean, you know, mm-hmm. different races. It could be different faiths. It could be different views right. economically, financially, educationally. All of that in that space, Mount Sinai played a big part for me. I think that's a great point, especially like a lot of young music creatives, artists who are obviously trying to navigate in the space. And you, I think it's important, to, you know, to follow your dreams. And, you know, Edith, one of our past guests messen, uh, mentioned this, is that but you also have to be realistic, right? You can have the day job from 9 to 5 and still pursue your dreams from 5 to 11. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. And no one should be ashamed to do that because, you know, the music industry, especially in the very beginning, you don't make a lot of money. That's just the reality of it. Um, and I think it's important to, like, just meshes that across because people have the assumption that they have to get the, the best job immediately after school. Right. Um, you know, have to like break this record tomorrow uh, type of thing. And that the reality doesn't happen. Um, right. You're, you're right. going to be grinding during the day and also grinding at night and in the morning. So, mm-hmm. you know, you and, and have if, a plan. If someone is looking at this right now and they're saying like, well, look at him, he's saying, yeah, look, I was, I was that person. I just said it, I don't know how many times in our conversation, Drew, where I thought yeah. it was going to pop, and it didn't. But, the, you know, the thing that I, I did learn and the thing that I did see with a lot of different examples were yeah. that people didn't give up. They just kept on finding different ways right. to, you know, be able to chase whatever that dream is or chase whatever that goal was. Right. And that's what I figured, you know, I'm going to keep on doing it. I don't know how, but I'm going to keep on. Yeah, and to your point, as you're doing this and you're chasing it, what was that first win for you? Like that real, whether it's a small win, big win, where you're like, okay, all right, all right. I, you know, I'm I'm working on Mount Sinai, but there there's some some light to this, you know, mm-hmm. for me to you know really like work in the music industry. We um, I remember my man at uh, Africa, my man Edmund Kofi, uh, okay. brother, uh, strong brother from Ghana. And his story is amazing too. But I remember he approached me one day and he was like, yo, bro, I I see you know a lot of people. He's like, yo, I'm thinking about putting this team together to throw parties. And I used to throw parties in school. Yeah. I was like, "Uh, 
all right, let me know what you, what kind of plan you got. And he was like, you know, I'm inviting a couple of people down. We're going to meet at a McDonald's down on 50 something street. Uh-huh. And, you know, so we can have this meeting. I'm like, you want to have a meeting at McDonald's? Like, <laughs> okay. All right, cool, 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 cool. So, Drew, when I get there, like the meeting, yo, there was, there was dudes in every seat of the, of the whole McDonald's down there. And I'm like, yo, I sat through it and everything. And I'm, I'm sitting there. And as soon as it finished, I was like, he's like, so what did you mm-hmm. think? I was like, yo, this is cool. But I can tell you right now, if there's 100 guys here, there's only going to be 10 left, man. Ain't nobody sticking around for what you said. Like, it's a great idea, but people want to get paid right now. They don't want to necessarily right. put this, you know, whatever uh, work that you want to put in. And it happened. You know, it got whittled down to, I think, like five or seven of us. But that group ended up being, uh, we, we named it Uprising because um, uh, Africa was very, you, you could tell by his nickname, he, he was very pro-Black, pro-Africa, right. pro-home, right. you know what I'm saying? And he uh, he wanted to call it uprising because it's about not so much an uprising of a coup, but an uprising of enlightenment and going out there and getting mm-hmm. the job done. So uh, we we did our first party down at like 95 Leonard Street. I forgot the name of the spot, but it was a small spot. Downtown. Like one, downtown, yeah. And it, it, yeah, was, yeah. it was like one of our first one of our first ones. I think we got 250, 300 people in there, and we did a spot wow. there a couple of times. And we, we kept on building. So each time our party got bigger, bigger, and bigger, and bigger. And I want to say every one of those were a win. But the championship, mm-hmm. like that chip, was when we right. did a party at, um, we ended up booking um, Hammerstein Ballroom. And wow. shout out to everybody else who's done it. Drew, don't get me wrong. I love, um, I love what, like, what the guys at, um, and now Henny Palooza, what used to be Duce Palooza. I love what they, they've mm-hmm. done. I love what um, my man Ouija, who is now over at the Brooklyn Circus, what they mm-hmm. did with Ramsey Racing. They did those parties. But we were able to do that party without any sponsorship, without any backing, without any, you know, any advertising, you know, fucking, right. what, what do you call that? Like, you know, targeted. Not that we wouldn't yeah, be doing target. that. Literally, targeted. Literally, we would print up like 100,000 flyers and the team would hit the streets. And, you know, we, we brought together uh, uh, this mm-hmm. mega team called, I think it was NYC Olympic team, right? And it was like, you know, guys from the Bronx, it was guys from Brooklyn, um, like Crazy. IDC, like uh, Round the Clock, like my man Mark the Spark and Flavor King and NYCD um, and a few other cats, man. And we, we've put 3,000 people in Hammerstein Ballroom. And see wow. me, I was always about the business. I was like, yo, what's the door doing? My guys, Africa and them, they was taking their shirts off, popping bottles. They was out here, you know, they was the ones that was like, we are the champions. That was them. And I remember my man Gav, right? Gavin came. Yeah. Gav, Gav came to the party. And yeah. Gav was like, yo, bro. He's like, what the fuck is going on here? And I said, yo, the party's doing well. He's like, yo, give me one second. And he's like, I know security said they're about to shut it down, but give me one second. Gav gets on the phone, calls his sister, Foxy Brown. Uh-huh. Wow. He says, look, <laughs> I don't know where the fuck you at. You need to get to 34th Street right now. And she came out. She she came, and I happened to be in the back at the time, and she did, like, this mini concert. At the time, Um, who was on the set? That was, Crazy. even though me, we had already been rocking with Self, but, uh, like, Self, that was a big party for a lot of different people in New York City for different reasons, right? 
But it was right. like, you know, I just remember at the very end, Foxy did that song, I forgot what it was called, but it was like, whoa, 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 whoa. And she murdered <laughs> that shit. And it was, the, yeah. it, was, it was a major chip, Drew. Like a major chip. Like I walked out of there like, you can't tell us nothing. <laughs> you can't tell us shit, man. We tore the city down. But guess what? 8 a.m., 9, 9 a.m. the next morning, yeah. it all starts over again. You feel what yep. I'm saying? Like yep. what you did in the past was great. What are you going to do next? And I've learned that lesson. from that, that very day. Uh, that's a great lesson. You know, I think to your point, like you reach a, a, a place or a peak, you know, never get, to, never get comfortable, right? That was your chip. You know, 3,000 people, Hammerstein, Foxy Brown performing, everyone just like super lit, crazy party. But next day, reframe, reset your mind. It's like, what's next? Right, you know, right. I, I mean, I mean, that's, that's we had important. the spots we were at leading up to Hammerstein Ballroom mm -hmm. weren't cakewalks either. Like we were filling up, right. we were filling up um, March twenty one twelve, the Roxy, the Supper Club. We were shutting, right. we shutting down the Supper, Supper, Supper Club, Club all the crazy. time. Crazy, yeah. yeah. No, that, that's awesome. So as your as as your as your promotional party group, as this is growing, where is that where is that kind of pivot for you? you know, maybe we fast track it a little bit into like the radio space. Like how, who was that person or how did you get that opportunity to start, you know, diving into that? Well, um, one of the things that happened in L, what happened is that me okay. and Africa, we had a disagreement and it, it fragmented our relationship for a little bit and it led to me stepping away. Um, oh. And I ended up from going from a party promoter to doing doors. But um, what I did is I noticed I was start even though we made good money, you know, with the right. promoting and stuff, I started noticing that there was, uh, the parties, used to, they were starting to change in New York City. Like a lot of the parties right. that we did, they were dress up, they were upscale. And then we right. were starting to see that parties were moving into that bottle service scene. It didn't mm -hmm. matter what you was wearing, as long as you was buying, buying a bottle and little right. by little, that kind of deteriorated the, uh, the, the, the scene, so to speak. That's a good um, point to point out. Yeah. So I started doing doors. And again, that opened me up to a whole nother scene downtown. Because mainly, you know, the parties I was dealing with were Black, Hispanic. Um, mm -hmm. We had some, you know, people from other nationalities that would come in that were friends and stuff. But then when I started doing doors, I was down there in the, the West Side Playland. You know what I'm saying? At one point over there yeah. on the far West Side, it was like 15 clubs on one street. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, uh, stereo. Was it stereo. Stereo, spirit. Remember that? Susie yeah, Long's yeah. home, apartment. Oh like, all of that gosh. stuff. So I, I was, remember I was that doing, era. Yeah, man. It's like, you could, it was like Amsterdam. If you, if anybody watched The Wire, Amsterdam is where you could sell drugs freely. Mm -hmm. Well, this was like Amsterdam for if you want to go out in 27th like, Street. 27th <laughs> You could just go yep. to all these different spots, right? Yeah. But what it did is then I started doing parties at like Hero, um, which was over there on what 17th and 19th and 9th Avenue. Then I was down in the meatpacking district, mm -hmm. opened me up to a totally, totally different type of uh, vibe, different type of crowd. And right. I was equipped for it. And I was starting to make a lot more money, a lot more frequently. My parties used to be like once every two months, three months. I was wow. doing this every week. So, you know, that opened me up. Um, I would say the relationship that I built with, with DJ Self from the parties, mm -hmm. Self set out for a campaign to get on the radio. 
Mm. And he eventually he eventually landed on Sirius XM on a channel. Was it on Hip Hop Nation? He was on Hip Hop Nation first. And actually it was another channel before Hip Hop Nation. But then when he um it was like he was like, yo, he would be like, yo, I'm bored. He's like, yo, come through or whatever. So I would I would stop yeah. through every once in a while before we would go do our party. And then little by little, this this crew formed that was on air with him. And that's mm-hmm. really how I got, you know, that was that was my exposure into radio as I, you know, into those doors right there. Yeah. What it what it did for me is like at the time, yo, Drew, I was not thinking about no damn radio. In fact, in between that time, I ended up moving to Atlanta. I'm like, oh, really? I was like, yo, okay. Yeah, your fam. I, what happened with that is that I had to I had to get out of New York, and I wasn't on a right. run or nothing. But there was a lot of things with me just mentally. Like if we're talking about else, shit just right. not, was not working out the way I wanted it to work out, or how I thought it was mm-hmm. going to work out. And um, my boy, my brother, L. Thomas, he hit me up. He was like, "Yo, I got an opportunity down here. We're starting to open up Jimmy Jazz stores." He's like, "Yo, I need your right. help. You win." Before he could even ask me fully. Bet when you need me, I'm out. I gave, I, I quit at Mount Sinai because that job I had kind of changed by that point. I wasn't mm-hmm. really um, comfortable where I was at. And really it was me. You know, I wasn't happy, period. So I moved right. down to ATL. I went down there. It was almost like, I wouldn't say it was a vacation because I really just kind of threw myself into this work, but I wasn't really mm-hmm. getting out. I wasn't doing as much as I, I, I usually was. And by the time right. I came back, I had a whole new outlook on how I was going to approach things. I was going to be more upfront. I was going to be more mm-hmm. realistic. I was going to let right. people know exactly how I felt. And right. I wasn't going to bite my tongue. You know, I wasn't going to right. be rude about it, but I wasn't, I definitely wasn't going to talk about it. Like in my head, if there was something I right. felt, I was going to let you know what it was. So I stayed in Atlanta for about 11 months. And by the time I got back, I had this plan. And I started, I started the, the first part of that plan was going to self and saying to self like yo look man i'm back yo you think i could come back over to serious he was like yeah man your spot's reserved come on back but when i got back there was mm-hmm. more people on the show and it was like uh, how the fuck do you fit in you know what i'm saying there's right, too many people right, right. talking so and at the time i didn't really understand that too many people talking but now you know it makes total sense but the um I just, I pretty much, you know, I looked at it and said, all right, well, let me figure this out. I know what I want. I know where I want to go now. Let me figure this out. No, I think it's super important to note that too. Um, Sometimes when you're going through the motions of just trying to make things happen and in your position, you know, you're part of this big promotional group, right? And eventually you start doing a door for this, this period of like nightlife, which I remember very vividly where everyone was going out, especially on the west side, Chelsea. Um, And you know, you're you're hustling during your day job. Um, But sometimes it's about taking a step back, you know, getting yourself out of the environment and then put it, you know, just really just kind of like assessing why all these things are happening. Because when you're in it, it's very just like you have tunnel vision. You just see the the goal, right? It's hard to see like all the things that are happening and then while you were in Atlanta during those 11 months, you know, it's good that you were able to kind of reassess those, those goals and really come back to self to say like, Hey, I really want to do this. So, you know, that, you know, these are great lessons for people that may be experiencing similar things, what they're going through right now with whatever they're, they're experiencing. So I think that's a great point. Mm -hmm. And and I think, um, 
you know, the other part, you, you said it early on, there's nothing wrong with the hustle of being, you know, you do the nine to five, then the five to nine, five to 11, or the other nine to five, however you, you, you go ahead and mm-hmm. word it. But even after getting back um, from Atlanta, like I was there for, I was here for about a year. I went back to doing doors. I was making, you know, good money in promotions and nightlife, it's right. ups, it's downs. Everybody's trying to stiff you if the money wasn't made properly, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I, I didn't have a regular job. Um, eventually my, uh, my girlfriend at the time, you know, we were, we weren't really together together. We were together when we was in Atlanta, when I moved up, it was kind of up in the air. And then she was like, nah, motherfucker, no, I, you know, I'm moving (laughs) up there and you know, there's Uh there's opportunities for me. And we figured that out. And then shortly after that, Drew, we found out that we were going to have our daughter. So it's like, I worked in a hospital. I know what the fuck this shit costs. I don't have Mm -hmm. a regular job guess what? I got to go back out into the, you know, the workforce and do that just for health insurance. And right. even within that, Super like important. five years, five years, I, I, I still hustle two things at the same damn time. And sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, burning the, both sides of the candle. But if you want right. it, you'll find a way. Right. Yeah. It's, it's super important to note that, especially when it comes to just, just responsibilities, right? Now you have a family, now your daughter, um, given all the circumstances, like you got to make this happen. Like, okay, I got to pay the bills, but you know, what's going through your mind? Like, you know, as you're, you know, kind of, you know, becoming a fixture, you know, with self, right. Where was that kind of like that, that first opportunity where, okay, my voice is being heard, uh, on the radio, like actually really have this, bug i'm like all right i can really do this <laughs> the uh all right I'll, I'll give you i'll give you the moment where it kind of was like oh shit and then i'll give you the moment where i can do this um mm-hmm. all while holding down a regular day job um at that time i kind of transitioned out of doing parties and stuff but i was running i was running around doing a lot of still doing a lot of stuff in nightlife with, with self so to speak right um one night something went wrong with the equipment He's like, yo, get on the mic. You got to talk. I'm like, nigga, I don't, I don't know what the fuck to say. Like, what do you want me to say to all these people? What am I going to say, man? He's like, I don't care. Just say some. Talk to him. Talk. Buy me some time. Tap, tap. Yo, so check it out. Bye, 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 bye. You know, you just start fig- figuring it out. Um, That wasn't the yeah. moment where I figured out I could do this. That was more like, let me hold my man down and hope for the best and we don't get in trouble. Um, The moment right. that, I, w- I would say the moment that, um while I was still working and that was, I wasn't quite yet at the point where I thought I was going to quit my job and do this full time. Mm-hmm. But we were, we were having this conversation with, uh, with Puff, with Sean, Puff Daddy, Diddy, Love Combs. Wow. And again, you got to remember like having a conversation with him for me was kind of like coming full circle. Again, I look at signs mm-hmm. all the time. I told you earlier, and mm-hmm. when we started talking, like a lot of my friends were doing their, their internship at Uptown. This is before Puff even became who Puff was. This is before Puff was the person who pretty much, you know, just gave the guidance for these super groups like Jodeci or a right. super new talent like Mary J. Blige. So right. when we were about to have this conversation, I remember saying it to myself, like, fuck it, I'm going for it. I'm going for it. Like, I'm going to say what I want to say because I yes. know this guy. He's not my best friend. I'm not going to make it like that, but I know him. I know a lot about this guy, not in a bad right. way, 
in a just knowledgeable way. And I feel like I could be honest with you. I could have this conversation. If anybody can have this kind of conversation, it's me. And my partner right. at the time, I don't think he knew. Like, we, we had an understanding of what we were going to talk about, but I don't think he knew I was going to do what I was going to do. And it, it, wasn't, it wasn't a bad thing because it was all energy in it. But once we got into it, my partner, he, he was trying to jump in. I was like, no, 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 no. Let me get this shit off my chest because I need him to understand this. But what I did in that, and I learned this, obviously, in working within radio up until that time. What mm -hmm. I did is I, I left, like, clues. You know me. You know me. You know me. And what I mean by that mm -hmm. is I was saying certain things and giving him times and places that I knew he would know and I knew wasn't common knowledge. And mm. it was like, uh, he was, he, I could see him sitting there. He was just like, he, what he was trying to do is trying to figure out like, who the fuck is this kid? How do I know him? Where is he from? <laughs> so by the time we got into that conversation of like, yo, Puff, what you been doing? That shit ain't it. But this, mm -hmm. this money-making mixtape mix is more it. My man is back. It was just this crazy exchange. And by the time we left out of there, uh, between him saying to people, <clears throat> you need to really take this guy seriously. He's dope. And yeah. uh, between my program director, Ron Mills, really trying to, uh, you know, at the time he was trying to figure out a way to get people to open their eyes and take me seriously. I think that yeah. all, all the timing, Drew, it finally lined up. Culminated, yeah, yeah. No, I, I love hearing that, you know, because people don't realize that, you know, hitting your stride and catching that, that moment. And to your point, going back from Atlanta, and having the confidence to like say what's on your mind and kind of reset, prepare you for that moment for, for Diddy and to have those people support you. So like I said, it's a, it's a, it's a journey to get to that point. But once you hit that cross section, whew, off to the races. Right. right. <laughs> and, and, the races. and still, you want to know the funny part? That was a win, but I still wasn't getting paid. You know what I'm saying? I still, there still was no money coming in. You know what I'm saying? It's right, like, right. I'm still trying to figure right, it out. Right. And right. um, I remember uh, talking about, you know, my love for, for basketball. I remember having a conversation uh, with one of my boys and he was just like, yo, just keep on putting up your reps. Just keep on putting up your reps, man. Like, you know, I was I was one of these guys that I was always part of the entourage. Right. There's mm -hmm. always someone in the entourage, though, that whoever the person whose entourage it is, he always right. says, yo, go talk to him. Because, you know, there's, there's, there's that responsibility. There's that trust level that you can handle whatever it is. I was always yeah. that person. And, you know, now, after coming back from Atlanta, it was just like, yo, I'm realizing, like, I can't play the back anymore if I want to have this position. If I want to have this position, I have to speak up. I say it all the time. A closed mouth don't get fed. Well, guess what? If I, I stay quiet and I, I, if I go all the way back here, Drew, you're not paying attention to me. You know what I'm saying? I'm sitting back here. You want to know right, right. in this seat right here. So right. once I, once I, and I know, I know when, when you hear this for the people in your community who's listening to us, you'd be like, well, duh, it's yeah. duh right now because you're looking at it as a viewer, but you'd be surprised right. how many people don't understand it until they have to go through it. And I had to go through it to really learn that part. No, that's, that's, that's super huge. And that's a good testament to like all the things that you went through, right? Uh, leading into it, right? You went through the internship at Def Jam. You know, that didn't necessarily work out to, to the goal that you wanted to, to pursue. You know, you're still figuring things out. You had that management opportunity. But obviously that didn't work out because it wasn't paid. You had to go back and get a real job. 
you know, work at Mount Sinai, which is, there's nothing wrong with that. And it allowed you like to really sustain your life, you know, your life and, you know, actually pay your bills, which mm-hmm. you know, is the most important thing, you know, maintain your livelihood. And eventually you found the opportunity with Africa to promote, <laughs> um, the, you know, this, this crazy party, uh, these crazy parties throughout New York city, whether it's downtown and eventually the Hammerstein having, um, you know, just Foxy Brown open up and creating those moments. And then just a realization to, you know, this, this lifestyle of just working in nightlife didn't work out, but you wanting to take a break and go in Atlanta to reset, which is super important. Taking those 11 months to just really just find yourself and find like who you really are and what your goals were. And then going back and redeeming yourself, you know, going to self and saying like, Hey, can I get back and work with you? And now you're in this meeting with Puff and you're telling them exactly what's on your mind. And then you have these people behind your back that are just like supporting you from your PD and your peers. And yeah, just like a culmination. Dude, that's that. impressive, man. That's very impressive. You got a memory of an elephant, bro. <laughs> God damn, that's good, bro. <laughs> no, no, I'm listening. I'm listening. So uh, I, I, love, I love to hear that. Just so I basically just contextualize your, your story and your journey with our audience because they, they see you, what you're doing now, and maybe talk about, because now I want to highlight all the great things you're doing now. So talk about, you know, what you're doing with Hip Hop Nation, Sirius Radio, with, you know, with Shade 4 or 5, and, and, and just like just in general and all the other projects you're, 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 you're focusing on. Yeah, well, daytimes, Monday through Friday, I'm on Hip Hop Nation from 11 a.m. to 5 p.m. Mm-hmm. Eastern time. Um, on the late night side, I'm on Eminem Shade 45. So that's Tuesday through Friday, midnight to 3 a.m. And in both instances, um, I get the chance to speak to some amazing artists, probably some of your favorite artists, and talk about their music, talk about their life, talk about mm-hmm. you know current events. It's it's definitely um, my my outlook on it is I always look at it from the fans' perspective, right? You know, you got people who hate refs because they make themselves part of the game. Whereas right. like, you gotta be, you know, look, they, everybody's here to see the basketball players. I don't think anybody checking right. the, the ticket to see, yo, is Joe Smoke, the referee gonna be there tonight? No, we <laughs> just wanna make sure yeah. it's a good referee game. In my mm-hmm. case, yeah, a lot of people do, they do like the type of personality that, that I am and I'm very aware of that, but everyone is here to see what this person has to say. Mm-hmm. So for me, what I always try to make sure that I do is make it very authentic, you know, make it very authentic, make it a real conversation. And people leave with something from that, right? Like, yo, you think right. these artists go through a car wash, you know, mm-hmm. they ask, they ask the same questions all the time. People try to trip them up all the time. If you're on that salacious shit, you know, and that, if yeah. that's what you do, cool. For me, right. I knew I didn't want to be that. What I wanted to be was a person who uh, was a documenter of the culture. You know, let's right. talk about this. It's the reason why I have great conversations with people like Royce the Five Nine, like yeah, Stalin, like you know, like somebody like a Rick Ross, who you know was. You got to be able to ask the tough questions, and the questions that people want to know. But you have to, you have to be able to ask it in a way that's respectful, that makes someone comfortable to mm-hmm. answer your yeah, because it's coming from a good place. You know what I'm For saying? Sure. Um, you know, someone like you know, like Rhapsody somebody like puff you, you dig what i'm saying uh, the the ability for me to sit down with someone who threw a no hitter like david wells and be able to yeah. tack, and be able to ask him like yo david keep it real 
was you really drunk that day or had a hangover? <laughs> and him say, hell yes. Like, yeah. That stuff, that stuff is big. So I, I do that over on, on, on Sirius XM. Um, also do a lot of creative stuff in the, in the form of, you know, telling stories where, and create and co consultative work with, you know, different fashion lines. Like I work with TI, I worked with Jason Jeter on some of their brands, whether it be a wow. hustle gang or strivers row. Um, I work with a, you know, a few brands that are out there. Shout out to my man, um, Dre Pabone and, and Evan over at, and, um, my guys over at Vinny's like Jacob D and Polo shout out to Polo. We just had a little one. Um, but being able to do that on that side of the culture. And then also, you know, uh, just to put up reps, so to speak, I yeah. take it over from SiriusXM and I do it on my IG Live and speak to a lot of new artists. And that's the, the range with uh, a series that so I important. call Grind, Grind Setters. What I love about that is being able to speak to someone who's super established, but also be right. able to speak to someone who's super new and still have great relationships with a young MA, with the baby with YG. Yeah. You feel what I'm saying? Like that's yeah, for sure. very important to me where I can pick up the phone and be like, yo, and they still pick up. No, that, that's super important too. You know, you, you're able to interview people um, on Sirius and then also the emerging artists through your platform, Grindsetters on IG, and then give them an opportunity to talk about things that they're passionate about, especially the, the artists are super early or you may just be discovering right now um, you may know their music, but you don't know anything about them. So right. uh, I think that's super important. But Gray, man, um, this is super dope. Um, now I really appreciate you taking your time on a Sunday during the holidays to share your gems and story. I really enjoyed it because, you know, it gave me like a time frame from, you know, your early influences in, in the Bronx to like what you're doing now. Um, but before we end, we always kind of leave like a big lessons learned from each of our guests. So all of your experiences, what's been your biggest lesson learned that you wanna share um, with the community? I think the, the biggest thing that, that I can say um, from my experiences is that you're going to get dirty. You're going to get bumps. Yep. You're going to get bruised. Your ego is going to be hurt. You're gonna have a whole lot more no's than you have yeses. But all it takes Facts. is one time. All it takes is that one time for you to experience the positive response. And then mm -hmm. you start growing from that. And believe me, this, this whole thing, I used to hear this a lot. It's a contact sport. But what yeah. they mean by that, some, some people might look at that like football, right, Drew? They might say, hey, it's a contact sport. Like, you're going to get beat up. Yeah, you are. Right. But the more contacts you make, the more times you have a chance to have a door open for you. And I would, I would That's take true. it with that. Like, you know, that, that whole keep going. Yeah. It sounds cliche, but it's the simplest form of an answer that is in it, in its purest form. You got to keep going if you really want this. And if you don't, right. you know, you'll find that you'll find out about that very soon. So keep going. No, it's, it's, it's so true. I mean, you know, it's not going to necessarily happen tomorrow. It's not going to happen next year, but if you're passionate about it, you gotta, you know, you're gonna keep trying to like strive for it, regardless of what people are saying or what doors are being closed. So it's so true, but great. I appreciate you, man. Um, shout out to the digital community for tuning in. This is episode 15. We're gonna 15. make sure we have, you got 15 episodes during this <laughs> pandemic. <laughs> you Young know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no facts. And then we're gonna make sure we have 
your info in the description. Make sure to follow Gray and all the things that he's doing um, on socials. And then also make sure to subscribe to our channel uh, for more great stories from incredible music creatives that are impacting culture right now. And can't wait to share new episodes coming soon. So shout out Digilog. I'll talk to you soon. Peace.